welcome to the Scam Economy with your host, Matt Bender. Well, this has been quite the week. Sam Bankman freed, more like uh, Sam Bankman, mm, let me, jailed? I don't know. Folks, welcome to Scam Economy. My name is Matt Binder, and last Monday, Sam Bankman freed was a free man. He was doing Twitter spaces, planning on virtually attending a congressional hearing the next day, and by that night, he was behind bars in a jail cell in the Bahamas. He's been hit with what seems to be like a dozen criminal charges, and counting, and not counting the civil charges too. And there were congressional hearings in both the House and Senate on the FTX collapse and what went down. There is much to talk about, and I have a great guest on this episode to talk about it with for all of you. But before we do that, this is where I usually get in my regular, you know, scam economy, social media plugs. But this episode's a little bit different. Now, when I said it's been quite the week, I didn't just mean it's been quite the week for Sam Bankman-Fried. It's also been quite a week for me. If you haven't yet heard, on Thursday, December 16th, I was one of the journalists handpicked by Elon Musk to be suspended from Twitter for the crime of reporting on Elon Musk and what was going on at Twitter. By now, I've spoken to multiple different media outlets. I was on BBC, CBC, MSNBC, all the BCs, it seems. And on my other podcast, Doomed with Matt Binder, this week I spoke with Emma Vigland as she basically interviewed me on what went down and how it went down. So be sure to just, you know, just Google what happened if you're interested. Check out that episode of Doomed. And to everyone who reached out, uh, in support of me, I really appreciate it. And if you're still interested in uh, supporting my work and what I do, you can go to patreon.com slash mattbinder and become a monthly paying subscriber. It helps me grow this show, create more content, and help me disseminate this content even further. And I'll throw in all my other usual plugs at the end of the episode. Because like I said, Sam Bankman-Fried arrested, FTX congressional hearings. We got to talk about it all right now. And joining me now to discuss all of this, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome back to the show the creator of Web3 is going great, Molly White. Molly, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me back. It's always so great to have you on because I, I feel like whenever there's disaster, that's when it's like, oh, let me let me ring Molly. Uh, so... <laughs> So FTX, I, I've been nonstop FTX for the past like month. Um, and for people who may have missed what is going on, uh, you know, maybe this is their first episode listening to Scam Economy and they've been, uh, I don't know, uh, permabanned from Twitter over the past couple of weeks maybe. <laughs> and they haven't seen the words FTX and they haven't seen... Uh, the name Sam Bankman-Fried. Can you like summarize maybe what you know what this whole uh, scandal, uh, this whole controversy, this whole I don't know complete meltdown in the crypto ecosystem uh, is that basically unraveled in the past month or so? Yeah, I can. So 
FTX uh, is a cryptocurrency exchange, um, which basically means it's just a platform where you can buy and sell crypto. You can hold crypto in your sort of account instead of keeping it in, you know, like a self-custody situation. Um, and you can trade on leverage. There's all sorts of stuff like that as well, margin trading. Um, and until a month ago, it was the second largest cryptocurrency exchange in the world. Uh and then <laughs> it sort of suddenly collapsed uh, in a very short span of time. It went from everything was fine to, hmm, you know, their balance sheet looks a little weird to FTX is suspending withdrawals to FTX is filing for bankruptcy, like in a very short period of time. Um, and to add a little more color, Sam Bankman fried SBF is much shorter, um, is was the CEO of FTX, and he also was the founder of a quantitative trading firm called Alameda Research, uh, which he actually founded first. And um, a lot of the sort of incident that led up to the collapse, and now a lot of what's coming out that looks a lot like fraud, uh, had to do with inappropriate transactions, basically, between Alameda Research and FTX, where FTX was sending customer funds from the exchange that they were supposed to just be holding on to over to Alameda Research, who was then using them for their trading uh, activities. Right, right. And so things sort of fell apart. I mean, for people, if you really want to go back and get deeper into all that, I had an interview with Mike Burgersberg, who helped sort of unveil this, you know, that Alameda, the, the uh, you know, the, the hedge fund uh, in the FTX uh, uh, group, uh, basically was insolvent, uh, which led, helped lead to, along with that Coindesk piece, helped lead to, you know, things starting to unravel for FTX, like you just mentioned. Um, so you can go back and check that out for, for deeper discussion there about that specific thing. Um, and so people were, before we get into like what just happened this last week, I, I think this is where we should talk about this. One of the bizarre things I saw is that after everything you just said happened, there was this weird, uh, sort of, uh, narrative that started going around and uh, everyone's favorite Twitter owner, Elon Musk, was really helping stoke this narrative um, that, like, nothing was going to be done to Sam Bankman fried Like, he was going to get away with it, which seemed ludicrous. And now, as you know, you and I are both crypto skeptics. Um, I, I even would say I take I don't know. I can't speak for you, but I would take it even a step further for me and say I am a crypto hater. I am anti-crypto completely. And I, you know, I don't, I don't give anyone in this space the benefit of the doubt when I hear of some sh outright shady business. But when it all fell apart for SBF, here I was saying, like, clearly there is investigations going on. It doesn't take a, it doesn't take a, a you know, a, a, a rocket scientist to know that there are investigations going on. This isn't going to just get brushed under the rug like, Musk and other people were saying, you know, even the pro crypto people were like, oh, he's SBF's going to get away with it because he's he's in like the Democratic politicians pockets. But it was super clear that there was a, a multiple investigations, at the very least, from probably multiple agencies. And it was only a matter of time. One of the things that probably, uh, you know, helped slow things down a bit was that like so, unlike someone like, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, Bernie Madoff. 
uh, I would say Sam Bankman Freed uh, under his, you know, being that people don't know so much about crypto, he was uh, a little bit more, I don't know, uh, covered by the fact that maybe he was doing something legit in his weird little industry and it just really did fall apart. And so like yeah. that gave him maybe like a little bit, like maybe a few extra days of leeway. But it was obvious that like there was no way once everyone got on board with what was actually going on, he was going to get away with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of sort of like really – weird outlandish conspiracy theories going around you know it was like 4chan level stuff you know where they were like well gary gensler gave a lecture at mit and sam bingman freed graduated from mit and so gary gensler didn't want to you know do anything against sam bingman freed and it's like what's like how is that a connection you know how is that evidence of anything um and so there was a lot of weird stuff out there around, you know, oh, well, he donated all this money to Democrats, which is true. He did donate a lot of money. And most of the headlines were about him donating to Democrats. But it actually did eventually come out that he's been donating to Republicans, too. He was just right. doing it, you know, sort of in a much quieter way. Right. Um, also, I always feel like we have to mention this. Out of like the 40 million or so that he donated like publicly, not dark money that we know about, uh, 10 over 10 million of that, more than 25 percent, because he even gave less than 40 million. I think it was like 36 to 37 million. More than 10 million of that went to a single Democratic primary candidate who lost in the primaries. <laughs> Yeah, he his donations were like largely to the primaries and didn't seem to make that much of a difference in a lot of the cases. And so it was kind of like he was not really buying much influence when he was, you know, contributing to campaigns that ultimately did not result in his candidate being elected. Right. Um, when it came through campaign but, to campaigns, it seemed like he was trying to be a power player by actually like electing people he wanted. But he didn't know too much about how campaigns work. So obviously most of his picked politicians failed like to me the more concerning uh role of him in politics is the lobbying he was doing and how yeah. like you know he basically was uh uh right in some sitting uh you know senators and congress people's ears like helping them um sort of formulate very pro crypto regulation policy uh that right. obviously people need to make sure uh, does not go through now that you know all this has happened for sure. Shouldn't have gone through before either, uh, but sp definitely not now. Yeah, but yeah, so that was kind of one of the theories. And then you know, I think there was also just a lot of people who expected he was going to get arrested like immediately. You know, like FTX collapses. He steps down as CEO and people are like, why didn't they pick him up? You know, like, why isn't he in jail right now? Like the day after it all happened, um, which would have been unbelievably quick. You know, even the month or so it took them to, uh, you know, take him into custody in reality was unbelievably quick for something like this. You know, people have been comparing it to things like, you know, Madoff and various other large um, collapses and, and scams or frauds basically. And like, you know, it can be years before, you know, between the collapse and when any actual charges are filed and, you know, any actual prison sentence might be served. And so the, you know, the fact that it w was so quick, I think is actually kind of noteworthy, but, you know, people basically saw him 
sitting around in the Bahamas, giving all these interviews, talking about everything that people would listen to. Um, and they were like, I don't, I don't get it. He's not in jail. So I think that may have contributed to is that just people were like, what's taking so long? I don't understand. And so they started to come up with ideas for why it was taking so long, you know, but the, the, the whole, Oh, I can't believe he's talking to the New York times and blah, blah, blah. That was always so bizarre to me because it's like, this is actually what you want this guy to do. What are you kidding? You yeah. want him to talk as much as possible. This is all going to be used against him. If he if he if he broke and told the truth, then guess what? You have right there what he did. If he's lying, guess what? They're going to use that as part of the case against him. Whatever he said would have been great. Just let him talk. <laughs> yeah, I ended up writing a blog post on that because I was hearing so much of that. People were like, stop, you know, giving him a platform. Stop talking to Sam Bigman Freed. And it's like, I get that you don't necessarily want to help this guy launder his reputation. But also, like, his public reputation is really not what's important right now. Like, it doesn't matter what I think of Sam Bigman Freed. It matters what, you know, the Department of Justice thinks of Sam Bigman Freed. And so... I basically said, like, you know, take what he's saying with a grain of salt, assuming that, you know, assume that he is probably lying more often than he's telling the truth. But sure, keep him talking, you know, like right. you might as well. <laughs> right, right. And the, you mentioned Bernie Madoff. And like, that was another thing I constantly saw. Like, oh, why? Oh, look at this video of Bernie Madoff being accosted by all these journalists uh, when he's walking through the streets of like New York. Why isn't this happening to Sam Bankman Freed? And I was thinking to myself, like, the reason it's not happening to Sam Bankman Freed is because he's literally in the Bahamas. What do you expect them to do? <laughs> like, and also, like, what like you... not setting foot outside, as far as I can tell. I think he was being very cautious. He kept talking about paparazzi. And I was, you know, I think he was basically in some undisclosed location and not putting his head above ground, pretty much. Right, right. So with with that out of the way, um, let's let's now go to Monday, December twelfth, two thousand twenty-two. Now something big is going to happen a little bit later that day, but before that, you, Molly White, were in a Twitter Spaces chat with Sam Bankman-Fried himself in what appears to be. Um, I guess, spoiler alert to the little thing I was just building up, the last interview with SBF uh, as a completely free man. Yeah, maybe. I think there was maybe a Forbes interview that was recorded like immediately afterwards, but I'll I'll say maybe the, one of the last. <laughs> the last live interview. There we go. I found yes. my way in. There we there go. You go. There you go. So um, what, what happened in that? Um, I, I remember I, I didn't get a chance to listen to the whole thing, but what I did hear was, was interesting. And, um, I saw that some drama came out of it where like, apparently he was upset with some of the questioning. Um, it apparently was, a with, uh, you and, um, oh, who else was in there from, uh, the crypto critics corner? Caspiancy. Yeah. yeah. With the both of you in there, it was a little bit different than his usual Twitter space chats where it was just a bunch of like really pro crypto bros. Um, yeah. I, I know there was one where, um, uh, what's his face? Oh my God. I'm can't, I'm having another coffeezilla. Mental... Coffeezilla. Thank you. <laughs> I know there was one where he jumped in and got to get some questions to, uh, uh, SBF, but other than coffeezilla, uh, you and, uh, uh, Oh my God. Help me Caspiancy. out here. Caspiancy. <laughs> Caspiancy. You're the only two who gave him a hard time. Yeah, so I guess a little context on the Twitter Spaces stuff. Like, 
Sam Bigman Freed had been doing all of these Twitter spaces where he would just like jump in and talk to people. And so all these people, mostly in the crypto industry, started setting up Twitter spaces with the idea that they were like going to interview Sam Bigman Freed. And there was one where it was like they almost turned it into like an interrogation. It was very strange. Um, but for the most part, a lot of the people were either... I wouldn't say that any of them were necessarily intentionally trying to be friendly to Sam, but a lot of them just didn't push very far on things or didn't question, you know, didn't question when he responded in sort of his usual way, which is to go on these very long tangents that sort of take you into a totally different subject and never actually answer the question that you're trying to ask. Um, But the exception, as you mentioned, would be CoffeeZilla joined three of those Twitter spaces, actually, he he joined one. And then Sam, I think, said that he had to go, like, right as basically CoffeeZilla <laughs> asked, like, two questions or something like that. And then Sam's like, I really have to go. And he, like, left the chat. Um, and then CoffeeZilla joined another one later on. And none of these were, like, planned that CoffeeZilla was going to join them, or at least if they were, it wasn't public knowledge or, or knowledge to Sam. Uh, and so he did that again, the same thing sort of happened where Sam left basically. And then in a third one, he asked some follow-up question and Sam basically blew up at him and was like, you're grandstanding, you're taking up all this time, you know, stop, you know, being so full of yourself and trying to, you know, paint the story or whatever it was. And which was ridiculous because so many people have talked to him for so much longer than CoffeeZilla had. But CoffeeZilla had asked some really pertinent questions around segregation of customer funds, but you know, between customers who were just holding crypto on the exchange versus customers who were trading using margin. And he basically did get Sam Bingman free to admit that there was no, you know, actual segregation there and that it was kind of just this one big pool of funds. And so when everyone was racing to withdraw their money, you know, there it was just sort of first come, first serve. Um, but yeah, so ultimately, uh, you know, there was a, a large crypto Twitter account decided to put together another, yet another uh, <laughs> Twitter space. It was probably, I mean, it was at least the fourth one, but it was probably more like five or six that Sam had done. Um, and they sent me a message and they're like, hey, do you want to come and ask him a couple questions? And I was like, sure, <laughs> I would love to. Um, and actually, one of the first things I did was message CoffeeZilla because um, he, you know, I had heard the previous one where CoffeeZilla, you know, where Sam Bankman Freed basically blew up at CoffeeZilla. And I got the sense that, like, if he were to join again, SBF would probably refuse to answer any questions. So I was like, if there's anything that you feel like is unanswered from your line of questioning, feel free to send it to me and I can ask. But he was pretty satisfied with what he had gotten out of Sam at that point. So I ended up just asking my own questions. Um but yeah, so I don't think he knew that we were going to be there. I don't think he knew at all who was going to be there. And so I don't know if he was expecting it to be sort of the same typical lineup or not. But um, I got the chance to ask him a couple questions, including, <laughs> well, first I asked him if he was playing video games, because in all of these Twitter spaces, you can hear him clicking with like a mouse in the background, like extremely rapidly. It sounds exactly like someone who's playing League of Legends, which like <laughs> I've heard a lot of people play League of Legends, and so I, you know, I kind of know. 
Um, it's definitely not just like some guy scrolling through Twitter or, you know, whatever else you might be doing in the background when you're like sort of distracted. It, it definitely sounds like he's playing a video game. So I asked him that and he admitted that he was playing a video game the whole time, which is ridiculous. Like, I don't even get how you, how you have the coordination to do that. I can't, I can't multitask like that. Like no, you would, I you can't would, either. You would absolutely know if I wasn't paying attention to you right now, Molly, because I would just be, oh, well. Huh? Did you yeah. say something? What? Right. <laughs> After you yeah, just said no, all I mean, that, I would have been like, I'm sorry. I didn't hear a word you said. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's just evidence that he truly is a superior mind. Who knows? But either way, <laughs> he he does. He, he plays video games while he's answering questions. And it had actually been kind of a part of his um, sort of his whole shtick where even like, you know, venture capital firms had written about how he had been playing League of Legends during a pitch meeting. As though that is something that you should like look at and say, oh, that sounds like someone I should trust with billions of dollars and not, you know, a red flag. Right. I feel like at least in like the Twitter spaces in this context where he was answering questions about what happened, it's like, whatever, maybe he doesn't care. It's nonchalant. There's no big deal there. But if I was like an investor and yeah. I was getting a pitch from him, I'd be like, is he just making this up as he goes along? He's just playing a game. Right. He's not like that. I mean, that's the only way I could do it. If I was like pitching somebody while playing a video game, it would definitely be like whatever just comes off the top of my head. Probably some things I was actually doing in the video game too. Like just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like just, cause right. it would just randomly be in my, my head. Yeah, like uh, yeah. yeah, there'll be uh, I don't know a castle with a princess, and uh, your coins will be stored there. And I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a big lizard guy with uh, that blows fire will be. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> we're talking about a crypto exchange. Yeah, well, he. I mean, you know, if if it wasn't for all the clicking, I don't think I would have known that he was playing a video game. He was, you know, he is very capable at answering questions and not only answering questions but dodging questions while playing a video game which just seems like it would be very difficult to do but who knows um but then after that i actually got to what i wanted to ask him which was um so the the monday that we were asking these questions of him the the subsequent day there was supposed to be a hearing in front of the uh, U.S. Congress around FTX, and they had invited him to testify at that hearing, along with John J. Ray III, who is now the new CEO of FTX and in charge of unwinding the whole thing. And Sam Bankman-Fried had initially been really cagey about going to the to the hearing and and testifying, and he had said that, you know, I don't have enough information. I, you know, maybe I'll testify when I I have a better picture of what happened. Um, to which, you know, Representative Waters said something like, well, you're talking about it at length, you know, all over the place. I think you can probably manage to give us some information, even if you don't have the full picture. Um, did, did Maxine Waters say, I, I heard you talking to Molly White. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think this was before our particular interview, because by the time I was talking to him, he had actually agreed that he was going to testify in front of the House. Um, so I asked him if he was planning to attend in person or if he was going to appear virtually. Um, and I also asked him why he was not planning to attend the Senate hearing, which was the day after the House hearing. Um, and he, you know, to which he had also been invited, but he had declined. Um, it just seemed really sort of strange that he would say yes to one, but not the other. And, you know, why does, you know, what's the difference to him? 
Um, and his answers were very unsatisfying. He basically said he wasn't planning to testify in person because he he said that he was needed in the Bahamas, basically, which is absurd because he is not working for FTX. He has no obligations to FTX. In fact, he has apparently been trying to talk to the people, you know, the new executives at FTX, and they are ignoring him. Right. Like, he has nothing to do with it. Right. So the idea that he is somehow needed there seems a little ridiculous. And then he was also saying that he was overbooked which was a, just a ridiculous thing to say to someone that you're talking to on a Twitter space. It's like, really, is the Twitter space, you know, the, the important thing that you're yeah, too many, uh, skipping too many a Senate hearing for? I got too many Twitter spaces scheduled. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Sorry, Senator. I'm, I and I'm a man of my word. Whoever gets my whoever gets my schedule, the opening first, that's it. I don't go back yeah. on it. <laughs> So anyway, so he, he basically said that. And I, you know, I obviously pushed back on that a little bit. And I was like, are you worried that if you were to set foot in the U.S. that you might be detained? And he basically said no. And then he hadn't really thought about it, but that he probably should. <laughs> Which was just a very weird moment. Uh, it's like that hasn't been what you've been thinking about for the past month solid. <laughs> right. I mean, ironically, though, it turns out that later that night, he, he was needed in the Bahamas. He was, <laughs> urgently. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't, like, I don't think he was going if, to, if he wasn't arrested that night, which uh, in case, I, I guess that's the first time I mentioned it, spoiler, he got arrested that night. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, he was already in the Bahamas that day. I mean, there was no way he was planning to catch, what, he was going to catch the red eye to Washington, D.C.? No, no he yeah, wasn't no, planning he, on going. Yeah. He was fully planning to appear virtually. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think he probably was planning to testify, which I wish I could have seen. Honestly, like selfishly, I just wish I could have watched that because it would have been just bonkers to watch that same guy try to actually testify in front of Congress people who like, I don't want to say that they're knowledgeable necessarily about crypto, <laughs> some, some more than others for sure. But, like, they definitely don't take as much uh, – they're definitely not as welcoming to someone like Sam Bankman-Fried as a lot of the people in the crypto Twitter spaces who are like, okay, sure, I guess that right. makes sense, Sam. You know, <laughs> like, right. I think they would have been pretty tough on him, and I don't know if he would have been well-prepared for that. Right. I completely agree with you. I wish it did happen so we could have seen it. Like, it would have been yeah. quite, the, quite the show. Um, but also – when he got arrested that night, the conspiracies came back about like, yeah. oh, I see. He was arrested so he wouldn't have to testify. To protect him, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, otherwise, because then he would have been came before Congress and he would have lied to them. And then he would have committed a crime. And it's like, wait a yeah. minute. Why do you think they just arrested him? They have all they need to prove he committed a crime if they just arrested him. In fact, yeah. they have plenty to prove apparently that he committed many crimes. Yes, <laughs> and no shortage of crimes. Right, and crimes a lot more serious than the the uh, the uh, death penalty uh, punishment that you receive from lying to Congress. I mean, who cares <laughs> if you lied? I think I think I heard. I think the person who who, who said it best, uh, Popat, uh, was yeah. on. Um, uh, do you remember the podcast he was on? I'm sorry. Yeah, it's his own podcast. It's called Serious Trouble. 
Okay, I just heard a clip on Twitter. He he yeah. he basically made made the joke like, "Who cares about lying to Congress? That's like nothing. People lie to Congress all the time. No, what do you, what's gonna happen? They're gonna they're gonna they're gonna wag their finger at him. It's like yeah. yeah. He basically said it was it was as if someone being charged for murder was also charged for jaywalking. You know, it's like right. the magnitude between a lying to Congress charge and you know the the wire fraud and and all these other charges that he's facing is is just not even comparable <laughs> right right but so i, I have these... think no, go i ahead, think go there ahead. were some legitimate questions just around like what happened with the timing like even some of the congress people were seemed really confused about it when i was watching the hearing they they were like you know why did what was the rush you know couldn't you have waited for him to because you know regardless of whether or not he lied it may have been useful to have him right. testify under oath for hours you know right <laughs> My assumption uh -huh. is like uh, because apparently what we learned later on is that um, what we learned later on, like after he was arrested, that like apparently there was uh, someone spilled the beans on him uh, well before um, FTX actually collapsed. And really? uh, yeah, that's what I was reading. Um, the, uh, I, I don't I, I I'm not sure if the name I saw is what people is rumor uh, and speculation or if it's fact so i'm yeah. gonna leave the name out but i was <laughs> i mean reading... there has been a lot of speculation that various executives at ftx or at alameda have been cooperating with investigations right. which i think is almost certainly true like right. you know just chances are at least one of them is like i don't want to spend life in prison right. and you know has decided to 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 you know talk to authorities or whatever um even some of the wording actually when i so i watched the press conference that was held after the congressional hearing by it was like a joint press conference between all of the agencies who charged SBF with various things. And um, the U.S. attorney's office basically said that, like, for any of you who haven't yet come forward, you know, you can come and reach out to us. We would love to hear what you have to say, which to me very much suggested that there were, you know, some executives who had yet come forward. <laughs> um, but, you know, they were they were pretty um they sort of dodged the question when someone outright asked which like of course they did right yeah my, my feeling is they had everything they needed and the congress the congressional hearing wasn't going to matter to them and yeah. i think maybe once they had everything they needed they thought we need to grab him before something changes and we can't find him or something like that yeah i was i listened to the whole um popat episode that uh the serious trouble episode which was actually super helpful because like you know, I, I sort of am able to pick up on some of the financial stuff and some of the, you know, economic stuff and some of the, you know, all these different place, you know, sort of fields that crypto ends up touching some of the, you know, sociological stuff, the political stuff. But boy, when it gets into like real legalese, I was like, oh, man, you know, I'm like trying to follow it as best I can, but it's hard. Right. Uh, and so having, you know, Popat or Ken White is his real name. No relation as far as I know. Um, <laughs> although that would be funny, <laughs> um, having him sort of go through and just explain some of the stuff and like why it probably took a month and, you know, why he might've been arrested so quickly, you know, um, between, you know, the period at which the charges were filed and, you know, so quickly that he couldn't testify in front of Congress. And so, you know, Popat basically said that, um, 
he thinks that some of it may have been a perception issue, which I think makes some sense that, you know, having Sam Bankman fried just sort of jaunting around the Bahamas, you know, talking about all of the fraud that he had been doing kind of made the DOJ look bad. Right. <laughs> and it was like, so, you know, what is taking them so long? You know, and people obviously, you know, don't always are not always so understanding that maybe they're meticulously putting a case together. And so, you know, I can kind of understand Right. No, absolutely. I mean, uh, let me read some of these charges here. So we got from the Justice Department, the DOJ, conspiracy to commit wire fraud on customers, wire fraud on customers, conspiracy to commit wire fraud on lenders, wire fraud on lenders, conspiracy, conspiracy to commit commodities fraud, conspiracy to commit securities fraud, conspiracy to commit money laundering, conspiracy to defraud the United States, and violate campaign finance law. Now, that one's an interest. That one I'm looking they forward to. They threw that to. one in for flavor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then uh, along with that, the uh, Commodity Futures Trading Commission uh, uh, hit him with two counts of violating uh, the anti-fraud provisions of the Commodity Exchange Act. And then on top of that, the SEC came in and um, hit him with two counts of securities fraud, um, which uh, violates the anti-fraud provisions of the Securities Exchange Acts of 1933 and 1934. I mean, they're going, they're going way back there. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of securities law does go way back. Yeah, yeah. 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 so they kind of just piled it all on um, and... You know, it's it's going to be interesting. That's another thing, actually, that Popat mentioned in his podcast is that, like, it's kind of tough for Sam to have at the same time, you know, criminal charges out of the DOJ and then civil charges out of the SEC. And he was saying that basically, like, if you are a civil defendant in a case from the SEC, it is within your best interest to sort of give all the information you can and explain what happened and go into great detail. Whereas if you're you know, defending yourself in a criminal case, you probably want to avoid details that might incriminate you. And so having to have both of those at the same time is like kind of pulling you in different directions. And I guess a lot of the time um, when that happens, when there's simultaneous civil and criminal cases, they'll request to stay on the civil case until the criminal case is done. And then after that, they'll, they'll take care of the civil case. But um, Ken White was saying that basically like, given that Sam Bankman-Fried has been talking at length to everybody about what happened, like it may be a difficult argument to try to get a stay in the civil case because he's just been like so willing to come out with all the details that he at least feels are convenient to share. And so, you know, it may end up being that he's not able to do that and we'll have to sort of make a tough decision there. But anyway, I highly recommend the episode of the podcast because I learned a lot from it. <laughs> yes, everyone should check it out for sure. Um, because uh, this is where we will end the legal discussion part portion of this because we are not legal experts. Before we are fully out of our depth, yes. <laughs> right, right. But I felt like we had to at least mention the charges, you know? It, was, it would have right. been, been uh, weird to just go like, and then a bunch of legal stuff happened, but we'll leave that to somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, um, let, let's now talk about those two congressional hearings because I saw, I mean, I, I saw the whole uh, first one. And then the, the second one, I saw bits and pieces because I was doing some other stuff for work. Um, but I know you were fully live tweeting. Um, <laughs> Jacked into the Matrix and watching. Yep. Right. And you were also uh, over on Mastodon as well, I believe, live tooting, right? Isn't that what you... <laughs> yes. I get so much joy out of the fact that Mastodon calls it tooting that I use the word at every opportunity. <laughs> 
Right, right. Some live toots for you all. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So so let's talk about that first congressional hearing. Now now who was that before? That was the one that was the the House hearing, correct? Yep, so that was the House Financial Services Committee. And and that one only had uh one single witness uh giving testimony and that is the new CEO of uh FTX, uh the guy yeah. who cleaned up over at Enron. Uh, yeah. who has then gone on record saying that um, he's never seen anything before like, and no, FTX. I mean, that's just bonkers that the Enron guy is like, man, uh, this is, I haven't seen anything like FTX before. Yeah, right. I mean, but he's also, he's said things that are very damning in, in a couple of different directions. He's, he's a, on one hand said that compared to Enron, this is like so much poor record keeping, you know, just total, um, you know, total mess, total uh, lack of corporate control, I think is what he keeps saying. But on the other hand, he said that also compared to Enron, there is very little sophistication as far as the fraud itself. Like it was not this big mastermind crime. It was just like kind of plain old fraud. <laughs> right. With so the leg- kind of these guys world. <laughs> Right. These these guys were the worst I've ever seen in the legit stuff and were the worst I've ever seen in the scammer fraud stuff. Yeah, they didn't even do the fraud well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's really funny. And the, yeah. the new CEO of FTX uh, who we're talking about is uh, John John J. Ray, the third. And Ray went before Congress and he spoke to them and there were some like like this one wasn't. Uh, like usually they have the, the the perpetrator before them, like the person they're angry at. You know what I mean? Right. At these, at these hearings, these congressional hearings. But like they couldn't really get mad at this. Like a few of them actually did. And it was bizarre. It was like this dude wasn't there. Like what are you, yeah. what are you getting mad at? Right. <laughs> yeah. And a couple points, uh, John J. Ray made comments about he would say things about like we, the company, FTX, you know, he's got to do. He's the representative of the company now. Yeah. Yeah. But he would say something about how, like, we lost eight billion dollars. And I'm like, well, you actually weren't there for that. So, right, right. right. That's very generous of you to say we lost. I thought so too. Yeah. He's like sort of kind of taking responsibility, even though he had no reason to have to do so. Right, right. And then sometimes they would get, they would like yell at him, like, tell us this information. And he was just like, I, I don't know it. I wasn't there. I'm, we're still He's looking like, into it. I literally it. <laughs> got here a month ago and I am still figuring out like right. where the keys are. <laughs> right, right. And I'm sure he had to do like, I guess like uh, someone had to probably come in and uh, I'm, I mean, that person's probably still there. Someone's got to help him explain, probably help explain to him the crypto stuff. Like he, yeah. like he's probably way out of his depth there. Like just because he's an expert in like, uh, these financial firms and you know firms that are bad businesses or partake in outright fraud doesn't mean he's also going to be the crypto guy, expert guy either, you know? <laughs> yeah, I was actually a little worried about that when he was first, you know, brought on as CEO. I was like, I was like, is he going to be able to sort of untangle all this? But I mean, on the one hand, it doesn't really matter if he knows a ton about crypto. Like his role is not, he's not going to be the one like tracing stuff through the blockchain. Right. <laughs> Although I would like um, to imagine that. <laughs> yeah. Him sitting um, there. But he also actually at a couple points during the hearing explained a few things to Congress people in ways that made me think that he's actually been 
briefed pretty well. Like he he said there were a couple of things that it was like, I would not have expected someone who just started looking into crypto a month ago to be able to explain that. So, you know, in that case, I, I was kind of like, oh, OK, maybe he's actually a pretty quick learner. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Uh, we actually well, well, again, like I said, it usually it's it's heated, which, you know, what, maybe it was good. This one wasn't because I think. Some information came out of Ray that, you know, if, if SBF was there, maybe we would have gotten around to. Uh, yeah. You know, Ray, Ray did drop uh, some very interesting tidbits, like how um, their invoicing system was basically to, like, drop the invoice and get approval within Slack. Um, which, like, listen, I, that that one was like, I, I listen, I get a lot of these young startup companies. I use Slack. I mean, in my, you know, I, I my job, we use Slack because it's very tech savvy. Um, but there's still like the accounting uh, department or whoever. That <laughs> you actually, have an like, accounting department. Pulls, yeah, <laughs> right. That pulls the paperwork together after things are actually like given the approval in Slack and they actually make it official in the background. Um, but to me, the crazy one crazy one was what was the QuickBooks moment. The, the FTX group is unusual in the sense that, you know, I've done probably a, a dozen large, you know, scale bankruptcies over my career, including Enron, of course. Uh, every one of those entities had some financial problem or another. Uh, they have some characteristics that are in common. Uh, this one is unusual, and it's unusual in the sense that literally, you know, there's no record keeping whatsoever. It's in the absence of record keeping. Employees would communicate, you know, invoicing and expenses on on Slack, which is you know essentially a uh, you know a way of communicating right. for chat rooms. Uh, they use QuickBooks, a multi-billion-dollar company using QuickBooks. 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 Uh, nothing against QuickBooks; it's a very nice tool, just not for a multi-billion-dollar company. I mean, listen, I don't use any accounting uh, uh, software. I uh, literally just cobble together my taxes and look at my bank account statements and do everything. And, but uh, but I also, I'm dealing with um, uh, a couple of thousand dollars a month. <laughs> I'm not dealing with, with – uh, QuickBooks is probably actually too big for me. <laughs> right. I'm over but, here with a Google spreadsheet. So right, 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 so right. That's where um, I max out. But QuickBooks for um, – a multi-billion-dollar company. Does this seem like they're a little bit out of their depth? I mean, QuickBooks actually yeah. seems like it should be out of its depth. <laughs> yeah. On the other hand, though, given some of the things that he had said about their accounting, I was kind of like, oh, they're using QuickBooks. That's better than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> also, but... maybe maybe the actual amount of real uh, money was enough to actually <laughs> make it fit into QuickBooks. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it was like tens of billions of fake crypto and then like a hundred thousand of right, real right, dollars yeah. that was sufficient. Right. It was like a yeah, it was like a, a Fortune 500 company on the uh, in the in the sheets, but <laughs> but just a small business with a couple hundred k in the streets. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> I think the sheets would be QuickBooks, right? So right. you'd have to reverse that. <laughs> right, yeah. that's right. That's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> that's true, right. Oh, man. I mean, uh, and then what you brought up, how apparently um, they didn't have 
account an accounting department. They didn't have any accountants. They didn't have they didn't have human resources. Um, I'm I'm guessing the human resources department, if it had existed, would have had taken real issue with some of the things that we've heard in the background that went on. <laughs> some of the rumors, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Either that or the human resources person was in the polycule. Who knows? <laughs> right. Yes, that could have been true too. Right. Apparently, there were um, there were lawyers. And I could attest to that because when I spoke to um, the guy who runs the Aid for Ukraine program on one of the episodes I did, um, he said that FTX came with their lawyers ready to go to set that up. Um, so that doesn't surprise me that if, you know, um, you were uh, trying to commit, uh, you know, mass fraud, uh, you would try to visually make it look as legal as possible so you would hire a lot of lawyers to make it look good uh <laughs> right yeah and i mean you know a, a bunch of the stuff that they were doing you you kind of really have to have lawyers for it. and so it's like you know just because you have lawyers doesn't necessarily mean everything is legal <laughs> oh right i mean if you're hiring lawyers i mean you could find anyone could find i mean Donald Trump had lawyers arguing to overturn the election. I mean, yeah, exactly. if you're paying somebody, there's somebody, if you're paying, there's someone out there who'll take your money to fight for you. Right. Especially if you're paying as well as FTX was allegedly paying. Plus there's the Bahamas real estate. I mean, it was a pretty sweet gig as far as I can tell. <laughs> right. Um, does, is there anything we didn't mention that, that sticks out to you in that, that uh, house hearing with Ray? Um, I think some of the interest, I mean, there was, it was a very long hearing. It was like four hours long. Some of the interesting stuff on in it, uh, had to do with Bahamian regulators and the bankruptcy process on the Bahamian Bahamas side. Um, it sounds like the CEO of FTX is sort of trying to cooperate with the bankruptcy lawyers on the Bahamas side. Um, which he said is a very normal thing that, you know, they do that all the time when there are bankruptcies, it's often cross-jurisdictional, they often have to cooperate, and it usually goes very smoothly. And he was commenting on the fact that it has been going unusually not smoothly in this case, where he's having a really hard time with it. Um, and there were some kind of pointed questions from Congress people also just around Bahamian authorities, like maybe there was wrongdoing there. Maybe the Bahamas uh, authorities were trying to get FTX to transfer money, you know, so that they could have control of it in the bankruptcy proceedings there instead of the ones in the U.S. Um, so there's a lot of weird stuff going on just in terms of the uh sort of jurisdictional fight, both both in the sense of the actual bankruptcy, but also I think increasingly in the sense of the um, criminal investigation. Like there was a, this is kind of off topic from the hearing, but um, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried has been taken into custody in the Bahamas and he is currently in a jail in the Bahamas where he will presumably await extradition to the U.S. And I, think, I think it's happening. I'm not sure if it happened today. Well, there's yeah. there's kind of an update on that, which is that at first he had said he was going, he was, you know, his lawyers basically said that they might fight extradition, which is kind of a wild announcement that everyone was like, okay, like that's kind of weird. Um, and then, then like a day or two later, Sam Bingfried or his lawyers basically said, no, 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 actually we're going to go along with the extradition. And everyone was like, okay, cool. And then today there was a hearing where 
I, you know, I think everyone expected that he was just going to show up and say, yes, I'm okay with being extradited. And they would be like, great, you know, stamp off on it and send him off to the U S but, um, the, the, I don't remember the title for the person in charge, the judge adjacent person in the Bahamas, um, eventually ended up sending him back to Bahamas jail, even though he's like, okay with being extradited. And so people are like, what is going on? Like, is everything okay over there? You know, now there are, of course, conspiracy theories around, is he going to be killed in Bahamas prison before he can, or Bahamas jail before he can, you know, incriminate other people or, you know, tattle on the Bahamas regulators or whatever it is. And it's like, I don't know. (laughs) Right. I, it's just so much going on there with just wait, see. I mean, you're going to jail, buddy. I, don't, I mean, whatever you're doing to fight it, just seems uh, like I, I don't see. Will he maybe defeat some of these charges? I mean, maybe, but I think you know the the odds are not in his favor. I mean, he certainly yeah. it seems like impossible that he's getting off scot free in any way. The question is just how long will he he go away for? Yeah, exactly, and also the. Um... The various agencies who've charged him have said explicitly that this is kind of just the beginning. You know, this is like what they could cobble together in a month. But there is they were like, yes, there are going to be more charges, um, almost certainly against more people. You know, one thing that um, is a little bit unusual is that the the charges are currently only filed against Sam Bankman Freed, even though like the chances that he was pulling this all off single handedly and every single other person involved was like, thought it was all fine right Mm, you know probably not not likely likely. yeah Yeah. um the the question is like you know bernie madoff we we keep bringing him up so this seems like the right person to bring up as the example like he was already like fairly older guy when he got arrested and his thing his his jig was up sbf is what 30 years old yeah dudes dude just threw away his life i mean i'm not saying that to feel bad for him i'm just pointing out like what a dumb thing to do yeah, I mean, he could be in prison for, I mean, until he's like 70 or 80. I mean, you know, if and the weird thing around um, some of the charges, too, is that like the sentencing guidelines kind of are hard to even apply to this case, because um, for one, I, I forget which it was, but I think it's like wire fraud. It's like for each transaction you get some Jeez. suggested thing and so it's like this could be i mean it could be like a million year sentence if you were to just take the uh sentencing guidelines at face value and then you know if you're looking at like the general sentencing guidelines around some of the like wire fraud stuff it tops out at like i forget if it's a couple hundred million or something like that but it's like below the level of billions of dollars that were you know stolen and misappropriated in this case so I mean, he's definitely not looking at, you know, a little bit of house arrest with an ankle monitor, I think is a pretty safe assumption. Right, right. So so before we move on to the, the that second hearing, the one in the Senate, I want to uh, just briefly mention uh, SBF's uh, genius uh, move, uh, because um, before uh, I, he, it seemed like he was planning on, on providing a, a testimony, but virtually uh, because um, once the hearing started i think it was fortune or forbes no forbes Forbes, yeah forbes got their hands on what sbf had prepared for his opening statement when he assumed he was going to be providing it 
And uh, this did not sit well with some of the Congress members who were there who who put this statement on the record. Uh, SBF's genius move to, uh, I don't know, win over uh, these uh, individuals roughly aged, I don't know, between uh, 60 and 95 years old (laughs) was to say, I would like to start by formally stating under oath, I fucked up. I mean, what a dumb move. Like, this is like, like, like you need yeah. to like go up there and like act like what you would do to like, like when your grandma would get mad at you and like whatever you right. think would like win her over. Would you, would you win over your grandma by going where we're going like, shit, grandma, I really <laughs> fucked everything up. God damn it. Like, no, no, yeah, no. There was this great moment where I think it was, was it Representative Cleaver? Who it was, was Cleaver. Reading- he was the one who was absolutely... He said, this is disgusting. Yeah, he was like horrified about it and he wouldn't even say it. You know, he's like, I can't even say it. And so I immediately knew exactly what Sam Brain was planning to say. Um, But he was very upset about the whole thing. Right. He Um, said, he said, disrespectful, absolutely insulting. He said, you would not. This one was funny because it doesn't make any sense. He said, you would not read this testimony in front of your children. I'm like, wait, wait, why would, what scenario would you be reading one of these testimonies? These kids (laughs) usually turn into these things because they love watching hours upon hours of Congress people talking. Right, or maybe, or maybe when it's uh, bedtime stories with Grandpa Cleaver, they, uh, <laughs> they sit down, knock them right and, out. <laughs> yeah, he just reads them testimony from that day's hearing. <laughs> right, right. Oh man, it was it was really great. It was really great. Yeah, it was I'm, very I'm... <laughs> weird too. Like if you keep reading, you know, he he had the statement, but then towards the end, it sort of just turned into a bunch of like bullet points instead of like a written statement. And some of the stuff that he sort of felt the need to address was like. Very very weird. Like he wanted to talk about how he's not on amphetamines, for example. Like there are all these theories that he's really hopped up on, you know, basically um, uh, Adderall, but fancier or whatever, you know. And uh, he went into detail around how no, it's not that. And he does take a prescription for depression, which you know people are getting all confused. They think it's supposed to be some Parkinson's thing, but it's different. And I mean, he's going into like extreme detail about this kind of stuff and he even said something like um you know i have been sad for most of my adult life or something like that you know in this section where he's talking about taking a depression med it's like kind of oversharing with congress um and then he even went into like there have been you know people have obviously been coming up with these theories that he's jewish and that you know that is why he was i don't know doing whatever it is and he like went into debunking those too <laughs> wait like, did, he, did he go did he say like uh, for the record i am not jewish <laughs> did he, he, he literally like talked really? about how i missed that had, part yeah he was like talking about how you know his name sounds pretty jewish and there are you know if you go far enough back but he's not really religious and i was like congress doesn't care you know like they're right. not in here investigating if you're jewish right. at least well, i hope not maybe some of the congress people are right right that's really wow and I got I got to say, as someone who, um, you know, if, when I sit still for a long time, you probably notice it when I'm talking to you, Molly, or when I'm uh, people who watch me on YouTube or doing interviews, I, I get the jitters sometimes. I have a very hard time standing still. I, I blink a lot sometimes when I'm tired. Um, so, so in that aspect, I, I think I found something I, I relate to with SPF. 
Yeah, people were really like blowing it out of proportion where it's like he's clearly just bouncing his leg a lot of the time. And it's like, have you never met somebody who does that? Like, right. that's really common. <laughs> right. I could assure you all. I mean, you could just tell by how I dress, how I look, how I live. I'm not defrauding people of billions of dollars. You could just have a tick sometimes, you know? <laughs> yeah. And you're also probably not on like designer methamphetamine, you know? Like, I'm actually that's... straight edge. I'm famously yeah. straight edge. Everyone knows I'm straight edge. I actually have right. never done any drugs whatsoever in my life, if you could believe it. <laughs> the last time I drank a beer was in sophomore year of high school. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So here's living proof that you can be a little bit jittery <laughs> without necessarily being hopped up on some kind of stimulants. Although I think there was some reporting around, like, there was some guy who was like the house shrink you know who like worked for ftx and who kind of over prescribed uh various uppers and things like that but i don't know how much truth there was to any of it right right listen as some i i, I can totally i saw like i've had people literally just out of the blue watch a video of mine and say are you on cocaine and it's like what <laughs> <laughs> no i'm not <laughs> excuse me this is a weird I mean, thing to just ask I mean, I guess I just naturally look that way. <laughs> so let's <laughs> – if you if you go way back, actually, in my family history, you'll probably find someone who, who did do a lot of cocaine. Who did they... do cocaine, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, go, let's talk about this, uh, this Senate uh, hearing. Now, this one was where sparks did fly. Yes, a little bit. I actually ultimately found it less useful than the congressional hearing, just yeah. because like in the congressional hearing, they at least had John J. Ray there. And in this one, they did bring four witnesses, but none of them were insiders. And either during, you know, the FTX operations before the bankruptcy or now, obviously, John J. Ray has access to a lot of information that, you know, you and I don't know about. Um, but in for the Senate, they just brought in... Um, you know, they, there was Professor Hillary Allen, who was a great, great choice, actually. And someone I need to get on this show. Yes, she's very Absolutely. good. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I wish she would do more, you know, like podcasts and things like that, because she's great. But um, I was really delighted when I saw her name on the list. And then, of course, Ben McKenzie, the uh, crypto critic. Wait, wait, and... wait, hold on. I told. I thought you told me that there was... Uh, no one with insider information uh, on this panel. Uh, I have seen the photo of Ben McKenzie hanging out with SBF, looking arm around him, huge smile on their face, obviously scheming. <laughs> I love that picture. I think Ben has it set as his Twitter profile picture right now, where he's just like deadpan looking at the right. camera. Yeah. For the for the purpose of the people who listen to the podcast and aren't and don't know what photo uh, we're talking about, I, I did not describe it accurately. <laughs> that right. was the joke. Um, basically, uh, when uh, Ben McKenzie was working on his book with um, oh his his book partner came on this show uh, not too long ago, Jacob Silverman, um, and they were they were working on their book and they they got an interview with SBF. They got a chance to meet with him for the book. And Ben McKenzie took a photo with him. And this photo is the most awkward looking photo you've ever seen. It's Ben McKenzie, like, <laughs> literally, like, giving, like, a mean mug. Like, just mean mug in the camera. Sta sta staring, standing, like, half an arm's length away from SBF. And SBF looking clearly uncomfortable. And, yeah. like, trying to, like, sort of smirk at the camera. 
And it's obvious that like they took that photo to like add it as a really funny like picture insert in the book. Um, I can't tell like if that was just how the photo came out because it but it cracks me up. It is very funny. <laughs> oh, as as someone who has taken that same exact photo with numerous Republicans at CPAC, <laughs> I can tell you exactly what he meant. When he, how he was taking that photo, it was this. It's the same thing. It's just I like, mean, I definitely think it was planned on Ben's part. I don't know. Oh, if oh yeah, yeah, Reed's yeah. face was. Oh right, okay, right, right, right. Yeah. I have no idea yeah. what SBF was thinking, except probably very awkward guy. I'm just like, okay, yeah, sure, I'll take the photo. You know. Yeah. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, but so ben there were people who were trying to act like Ben McKenzie was actually friends with SBF because of this one photo yeah. of them. <laughs> Yeah, like, he had, yeah, it's like, what do you think they talked about exactly? Right, like, they were like, what did you know, Ben? How could you let this go on? Yeah, right. Um, yeah, so that was that was two of the witnesses. And then they also brought in um, Jennifer J. Schulp, I think her name is. She's with the Cato Institute. She's basically, mm. like, a libertarian economist. I'm sure um, they got some good stuff out of that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's kind of what you expect, right? Yeah. And then, um, of course, Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary, was there, um, which yeah, was, was just was... a weird choice. Right. I was glad he was there, though, because it really... I found myself wondering, like, maybe he was invited by someone who doesn't really like crypto because they knew he would make it look bad. Yeah, like, like the, the to, like, this, put, like, a, a sycophant on display. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, really, it was amazing. Because this guy, yeah, I was just gonna say, like, ultimately, I suspect he was invited by somebody who is pro crypto, but like, it didn't go very well. <laughs> right? They're they're in such a bubble. They think that like, oh, having somewhere defend someone there to defend crypto so so like strenuously will like you know be good. But what they don't realize is most people look at this stuff and see you like defending a scam like it's like you're open first shilling. of all right shilling he's openly saying he got screwed over and like saying he would have done it again if he had a chance like yeah. really bizarre like really weird like kept talking up sbf2 in like really weird ways like yeah that, even before he went on that panel he he was actually more as crazy as that panel was he was actually more reserved on the panel because like in the weeks before he was like i would that kid was going places you see i would have given him more money even after i found out it was a fraud if he just didn't admit to it you know yeah (laughs) i know it was wild and he kept saying things that it was like he wanted people to feel bad for him for losing millions of dollars that he had he you know he's like FTX had a deal with him, then they were going to pay him $15 million. And then he took that money and put it on FTX and used it for crypto stuff. And obviously lost access to it along with everyone else. And it's like, no one cares that Kevin O'Leary lost however many million right. dollars. Like, he didn't, even, he didn't really lose. Yeah. He didn't really even lose any of his own money. He basically just did free spokesman work for FTX at the end of the day. Like, yeah, it wasn't exactly. like... Yeah, it wasn't he like paid his an money. exorbitant amount to be a spokesperson, and then now he doesn't have that money. And it's like, oh no, how is he going to put the food on the table? You know, it's like no one cares, Kevin O'Leary. Right. I, 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 for me, my there was a lot of great like back and forth moments from what I saw. You probably will be able to tell us a little bit more about your favorites because you probably saw more. But my my favorite that I saw was when 
um, Professor Hillary Allen just outright said, like, the, the appropriate way to respond to this, and this is not verbatim, but she basically said, like, the appropriate way to respond to this is to ban it. Um, and then she said, like, beyond doing that, if we couldn't do that, it would be to, like, treat it like a casino, like, treat it like gambling. Because um, that's exactly how I feel. And I don't know if that's ever been said before Congress before. Because um, that's what should be done. I mean, I understand that outright banning something like this might be next to impossible. So then just turn like make it officially a casino. Make it officially straight up gambling because essentially that's what it is. It's playing the lottery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, she definitely has stronger opinions on that than I do. You know, I am not in camp ban crypto. Um but I do, I very much see where she's coming from. And, um, you know, I think she also recognizes that it's just not going to happen. You know, she basically, right. like, at one point, someone asked her, if you were a queen for a day, you know, what would you do? And she said, well, I'd ban crypto. But then she said, but, you know, if I had constituents and, you know, if I was basically if I was not in a total monarchy, um, I would. And then she went on to say, you know, have it all regulated as a security and she would strengthen banking regulations and all these other things, which are quite reasonable. And and I do think that those make a lot of sense. So, you know, I think, I think that is her preference, but it is not something she sees as particularly likely to happen. (laughs) All right. So, So was there anything, uh, that you thought, I think Ben McKenzie had a great uh, moment too with one of his, uh, you know, uh, speeches where he basically, you know, called out crypto for exactly what it was. And I think his big take home there was, um, you know, it, it's going to keep happening. Um, this is the industry. Like this is this isn't like uh, like an aberration. This is yeah. the norm. Right. Yeah, and that's something that I've been saying a lot of this past couple of weeks. Is I feel like I've been a broken record, but there. I mean, it's so clear. You know, you're seeing we're starting to see the Congress people and the, you know, the the representatives, the senators themselves are taking the line that this isn't a crypto problem. This is an FTX problem, you know, that this is a fraud thing, not a crypto thing or whatever, that SBF is just a bad apple. FTX is just a bad apple. And, you know, we don't want this to tarnish the reputation of crypto. And, you know, Ben was saying again, kind of what I've been saying, which is that like, no, 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 (laughs) this is absolutely crypto. (laughs) You know, there's a reason that we see these things happening over and over and over again. Um, And I think Ben was pretty effective in in some of the stuff that he said, where he was just very direct and clear around like, people are getting really hurt by this. You know, there is nothing happening in the way of the regulations that should be being applied. And this is exactly what happens when that you know, is the circumstance that you're providing to people. <laughs> right, right. It's, you know, I, 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 it's, it really like boggles my mind how um, some people look at this. It's like when, when, I mean, how many more things need to happen? Like how many more crypto lending companies need to go bankrupt? How many more exchanges need to be, uh, you know, uh, basically collapse after, uh, admitting they were built on nothing but hot air. Um, how many stable coins need to fail? How many fly-by-night crypto tokens need to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, shown to be uh, straight-up rug pulls and scams? How many, um, you know, uh, companies and bridges and networks need to be hacked? Uh, how many, how many board, how many board apes need to go missing before, before people realize that this is just, 
this is what this is. It's just a, a rife with crime and uh, scams and fraud. And if you're not outright scamming people, then you're scamming people. And this is my opinion. And then you're scamming people without realizing you're scamming people. I mean, there's those are the two options. There's there there's no other option in this in this world. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, and I do think that to some extent, some people are actually kind of waking up to that uh, recently. You know, it, it feels like there have been a lot of people who are who are saying that, like, you know what? I don't want anything to do with this. I am getting out. Um, you know, it's definitely not the majority of people, but I feel like I have been seeing more of it than I saw, you know, earlier this spring when there were collapses and, and things like that. You know, people are just they've seen, you know, a whole string of failures this year that have really sort of taken the life out of the crypto industry for them. And it's like not fun anymore or whatever. Um, but, you know, you're absolutely right that for a lot of people that it doesn't matter. You know, it's like any number of failures seems to be, you know, things that they can just brush off as a one-time accident, you know, even though it's happened. I mean, this year alone, you know, we've had Terra Luna at the beginning of the year. Then we had Three Arrows Capital, Voyager, Celsius, both went bankrupt. You know, BlockFi almost exploded. You know, it's like, and then, you know, FTX went down. It's, I mean, it's just like one thing after another, you know, it's been almost, I mean, I don't even want to say almost, it's been unprecedented in crypto how badly this year went. And yet people are still like, this is great. You know, it's like you can buy low, you know, this is the time to build. And it's like, what? (laughs) You know, have you seen what just happened this whole year and how many people were absolutely ruined by it? Right, right. Well, that's a that's a conversation for another day. Uh, so, so Molly White, developer and creator of Web3 is going great. Thank you so much for uh, joining me and uh, breaking down the latest with uh, FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried. It's always a pleasure to have you on. I was happy to be back. And where can people find you? Uh, I am on Twitter for the time being at Molly0XFFF. Uh, I'm also on Mastodon. I am Molly0XFFF at hackyderm.io over there. H-A-C-H-Y-D-E-R-M.io. And then you can, as always, find me at mollywhite.net, newsletter.mollywhite.net, and every other place on the internet that I'm at. (laughs) There's a lot. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's going to be a lot more, I think, as uh, as people try to find a new place, a new home. Right. Uh, Thanks again, Molly. Thanks for having me. 12 criminal charges, six SBF Twitter spaces, two congressional hearings. SBF is jailed. Okay, I'm done. Got to get into the holiday spirit, you know? Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Scam Economy and the marathon of FTX coverage we've been providing you on this show. And to support this show and help it grow, you can go to patreon.com slash mattbinder and become a monthly paying subscriber. You can also go to youtube.com slash mattbinder and subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can go to twitch.tv slash mattbinder and follow me there. And if you're an Amazon Prime subscriber, connect your Amazon account to your Twitch account and you get a free Twitch Prime subscription to give to your favorite creator each month. Consider it if you haven't already done it. 
You can follow me on Mastodon now. I am on Mastodon, the alternative Twitter platform. You can find me at Matt Binder at Mastodon.social. You can still find this show on Twitter at Scam Economy. Go to ScamEconomy.com for all the links to the podcast version of this show. And if you haven't already, go to Apple Podcasts, go to Spotify, go to your favorite podcast platform and leave a review. It helps push Scam Economy up the podcast chart rankings and in turn gets this show in front of more people. I want to thank you all once again for all your support over this past year. The first full year of Scam Economy has almost completed, launched this show in January, and here we are ending out 2022. Stay away from the scams, the grifts, and all the frauds as you celebrate whatever it is you do. Happy holidays, everyone, and I will see you all next time on the Scam Economy. 